it's Alexa here and welcome back to the Singing Teachers Talk podcast, which brings you great interviews, insightful discussions and advice on the topic of singing and teaching singing. And joining me today is someone with quite an eclectic career. She is now a singing teacher and osteopath for a clinic in Surrey and also the Voice Care Centre in London. And she is here today to chat osteopathic bits. It's my pleasure to welcome Chloe Spencer. Hi, Chloe. How are things in your neck of the woods? All good here. Thanks, Alexa. Great. It's really lovely to have you today. Thank you so much for giving up some of your time to chat bones and whatnot <laughs> with me. Um, so I'm just going to start with a big question. What is osteopathy? So you choose the biggest question to start with, wouldn't yeah. you? <laughs> what is it? Um, osteopathy, it's, a, it's obviously a system of manual therapy. Um, in in the same realms as physiotherapy and chiropractics um maybe a bit sports massage they all cross over a little bit they've got different philosophies different ways of approaching the same problem people with um musculoskeletal issues uh manual, using manual therapy to approach that um the principles of osteopathy are based around a holistic view of the body fundamentally that the body can if you get everything working correctly, the body can fix itself. So it's not a, uh, a, a guiding fixing modality. You don't come to an osteopath to be fixed. You come to an osteopath for an osteopath to help you fix yourself. That's, that's sort of the goal. Um, get the blood flowing correctly in the right places, allow everything to find its own balance. That's the goal really. So you mentioned clicks there. And I don't, I'm a bit obsessed with kind of watching videos on, on, I don't even know what, the, who the person is, but they click and it just seems so very satisfying. <laughs> Sound on for the click, those kind of yeah. videos. Um, so the click, what, uh, what the click is, um, so it's a bit, it's a bit of under discussion, really. Um, the best working theory is that you are producing a gap between uh the surfaces of, of a joint and what makes the noise again this is one of the theories is that it's either gas bubbles popping or gas bubbles forming we're not quite sure which um okay. because it's very difficult to tell there's been mris of this um somebody's clicking their fingers in an mri machine and things like that but it's still very difficult to tell um but the process of it you get the click and what then happens, and again, this is a theory, is that the in that very small local area, uh, a small amount of the body's natural opioids are released, which obviously creates an analgesic, a pain-killing effect in that small local area. Right. That lasts probably four to six hours. And in that time, the reason it will then help to have the click is that you increase the range of motion where that effect happened yeah. um, and allow allow the healing to take place right so i mean i'm no scientist <laughs> and you know i'm going to put something out there is it a bit like a bone fart <laughs> <laughs> i love it i love it it um it's more like a joint fart okay or a bone fart i would say yeah um i'm gonna just say we've coined that here and now <laughs> The joint fart. I love this. This is this is awesome. <laughs> well, it's very satisfying when it happens. So 
I it just... is, it is. And I do get patients that get obsessed with it. I've got some patients who don't believe they've had a treatment if they haven't been clicked. Um, equally, I get some patients who hate it and won't be clicked. Mm. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a very individual thing. Yes. I'm, I chase the click. I'm one of those. I chase a, it. A crack addict, as, as you're known. <laughs> Absolutely. Joint farter and a, and a crack addict. Love it. <laughs> there you go. I can add that to your CV. Yeah. Uh, so you feature in um, Vocal Health Education's Vocal Habilitation Professional Level, where you presented um, a really great webinar on the benefits of osteopathy, particularly for muscle tension dysphonia sufferers. Mm -hmm. um, so why else might a singer actually benefit from having some osteopathic intervention? Um, so it, to be honest with you, the majority of singers that I see, it's probably 50-50, um, the muscle tension dysphonia singers, where it's quite a direct technique and it's all focused around the larynx and the neck, but even with them, we'll be looking at outside of that area because the voice is not solely located in the larynx, as we know. Um, I mean, you could go as far as to say that it's, it's, it's global. You can look at the feet. You know, if you're not standing straight, um, if you're not standing grounded, if there's a problem with your feet, if there's a problem with your ankles, knees, hips, back, anything like that will affect the balance, will affect the voice. Um, pain is another issue. So I will see singers for things like particularly performers, singer songwriters who've got sore shoulders or who've got tennis elbow from, from playing the guitar. Well, not necessarily that's from playing the guitar, but pins and needles and tingling in their fingers, that's affecting the way that they're performing. Um, it may not be directly affecting the voice, but if you've got pain and tension in a shoulder that's creating pain and tension in the neck on that side, that will be affecting the voice. So it, it, it's a it's a sort of a chain link effect. And that's again, that's very much the osteopathic way of looking at it. I'm not just going to treat your voice. I'm going to look at where it's coming from. Mm. And all of that, I, I, I find it such a cool concept. And I remember my first um, myofascial release experience with Stephen King um, when I feel I felt like I had some jaw, you know, related issue. And he was like, well, I'm, I'm going to look, you know, at your leg or your knee. I can't remember where he went, but it was I was like, oh, and I, it then started to click this whole kind of holistic whole person thing. Yeah. And it's so interesting. Um, and seeing kind of the fascial trains yeah. through the body was, it was awesome. Um, so obviously as the voice teacher, a lot of us aren't osteopaths, but there might be some visual clues for us in the studio with, um, with the singer, which we can look out for, which therefore we might be able to advise maybe seeking some um, osteopathic intervention, or maybe we could do something ourselves, which is within our remit. So what, firstly, what are the things that we can be looking out for in our singers? So, I mean, really basic stuff, I would say is, is your singer in pain? I know that sounds, that sounds a bit simplistic, but you, they come in and you, you, because you tend to know your singer quite well, we, we're working with, with emotions and identities and that, that connection. You'll know immediately if they've got a problem, you'll see the way they're standing. So 
the first thing to say is, you know, have you got a problem? Is there something, is something hurting today? Um, hip issues, knee issues, back issues, stiff necks. I'm seeing an awful lot of stiff necks at the moment. Um, people sleeping funny on them. A bit more complicated than that, but you know, they wait, they go, well, I just woke up with it. I must've slept funny on it. Headaches. Um, those sort of things are going to affect the way that they're singing. Um, then you could obviously we'll, we'll probably come and talk a bit more about this, but posture, you know, is there something affecting the way that they're standing? Do they have a habitual way of standing that is affecting the way they're singing or not optimal for the way that they want to sing? Um, and something as silly as fatigue, tiredness, you know, when that person comes in and they just look flat as a pancake and you say to them, are you sleeping all right? And probably in your experience, you've said this to somebody and then you get this like verbal diarrhea of no, I'm not and why. Um, quite a lot of the stress response and the sli affected sleep cycles, we can actually treat quite a lot of that um, with some of the cranial techniques. So that's a, that's a basic starting point, posture, pain, sleep, or fatigue levels. Yeah. Mm. And then what um, can, can the voice teacher do in the lesson other than, um, you know, listen quite well to those responses from the singer? Um, but physical stretches or guided self-massage, what is it that we're able to do? And can you describe any kind of useful um, stretches that we can take on maybe for the neck. I, I'm also uh, one really suffer with my neck in terms of it's where I tend to feel stiff, but I'm also see that in, in, in singers, um, they generally complain about their neck. Yeah. Um, from a stretching and movement point of view, I think one of the, the, the biggest things you can do for a student, and again, this all links back to why, to what osteopathy is. It's not about fixing somebody. It's about helping them get inside themselves is to guide somebody into body awareness. So if you, if they're standing in front of you in, um, a sort of a, <laughs> the Neolithic man position, um, you want to say to them, look, let's just move around. Let's see what different positions so get them to stand weight balanced on both feet on the in the center of both feet get the hips over the heels get you know get the body nice and straight ear shoulder hip heel if you like and ask them what it feels like because if um for example you've got somebody hypermobile that will feel horrible to them because they will have to be recruiting muscles constantly to keep them in that position but if you've got somebody who isn't hypermobile, I'm not going to say normal, but isn't hypermobile, that will feel possibly quite different from what they're used to, but quite nice in a kind of an, actually, I can relax here. Nothing's hurting. Or if they've been habitually cramped, shoulders forward, neck, chin stuck out, it might feel horrible again. So it's just getting them to feel this is, this is good. This is a nice place to be for singing. What does it feel like? Is this something that you think you could practice day to day? Almost like a body scanning kind of thing. Mm. And then in terms of stretching, again, I keep coming back to the word hypermobility. If you've got somebody who is very, very mobile, getting them to stretch will look very different 
the stretch will look very different from somebody who isn't hypermobile because they will just keep going and going and going and going <laughs> and their heads will go all the way around and they look like an owl. Um, whereas you get somebody who, who is the opposite end of the spectrum and they'll just, it'll be a tiny movement. Hmm. So from a teacher's point of view is, is having an awareness of what I'm looking at. You know, is that normal for you hmm. or is that, so for example, if you've got somebody who you know is very mobile and their head's only moving a tiny bit, you're thinking, hang on a minute, that's not right. Or if you've got somebody who equally, who is normally quite stiff and suddenly their neck's moving an awful lot, you think, well, that's not right either. You're going too far. You're gonna overstretch those muscles. You're gonna be sore. So it's a balance. It's about understanding and knowing what you're looking at. Mm. Can we delve into the hypermobility area a little bit more um can you can you explain to us kind of what that is and how that might affect a singer generally yeah i mean i'm not a, a huge specialist on on the effects of hypermobility on singing because it's a it's a subject that's still very much understudied um there are a lot of very interesting studies at the moment being done on this so hypermobility it's a spectrum um on one end of it you've got people who are a bit bendy and on the other end of it, you have a condition called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which is uh, a severe connective tissue disorder with, with, and it has lots of different varieties, if you like, lots of different flavors. You can have visceral stuff, so where your um, internal organs don't work correctly. You can have skin related ones. You get people with very, very wrinkly skin. But the most common one that we, as singing teachers will come across um, is a sort of a, a mid-range, connective tissue laxity and it's a ligament it's a ligament laxity it's not muscular so it's where the joints are joined together there is a little bit of extra stretch than there more stretch than there would normally be right can you see avoid using the word normal um and what that means generally is that a person who is hypermobile will generally have to work a little bit harder their muscles will have to work a little bit harder to keep themselves in a, in a, in a socially accepted posture. And you tend to find those people will be more inclined to be tired more often. Um, and they will stand in the, in the traditional banana position because that's very comfortable because they don't have to then recruit the muscles. Um, so you get this sort of sway back, locked back knees, um, the, the, the chin will stick out and you'll get this, this, it will look, odd but that's their relaxed position and that feels comfortable for them and so trying to change that might not work for them um and what i was you know i i would say that you would see if you're working with young musical theater singers you'll see quite a lot of it because it's very it's a good thing to have if you're a dancer it's a great thing to have because you can put your joints into positions that less flexible people can't and so they tend to gravitate towards that that kind of occupation. Um, but in terms of how it will affect singing, again, jury's out a little bit. Mm. Okay. And there's a there's a, a kind of scale, isn't there, that we can use to measure how hypermobile somebody may be. Um, and I forget the name, but I think you mentioned it earlier to me. It's the yes. It's called the Baton Score. Um, so what you would be testing, it's a nine point scale or scoring system. Um, 
you would look to see if they can bend their thumb if you flex the wrist and you can bring the thumb back to the to the forearm um uh, i can probably demonstrate that there so both sides so you'd get one point for each thumb um then you'd have the same for the fingers some some do the little finger um if you can bring that right back uh, it's what we used to call double jointed it's it's basically that so again one point for each each thumb one point for each finger so that's four then you'd hold the elbows out in front and if they I, I can't really demonstrate this but if they sort of banana you can see mine bend back yep like you just like yours yep so yeah. they're bent, bent back a little bit you can see it goes up and down um one point for each elbow and then the same for the knees so if you see someone standing and the knees are really locked back um one point for each knee so we're up to eight and then the the final point is can they bend over and put their hands flat on the floor right um that one tends to drop off as people get older because they just naturally get stiffer and their backs start to get problems and things like that so they and they'll be reluctant to do that but the question to ask is could you do that easily when you were younger mm. um and if the answer is oh yeah it definitely used to be able to do that then that's your point nine um okay and so that's how you get your scale and again you can be nine out of nine on the Baton score but still not be very hyper like not have it affect you that badly it just depends on that's just a starting point for you to say oh yeah that's pretty mobile mm. yeah that's really interesting and of course on the opposite end of the spectrum you have what hypermobility yes um i mean general sort of inflexibility i suppose you'd call it um mm. i don't see a lot of that to be honest um tends to happen in older i mean it tends to as, as people get older and they just get stiff naturally and i don't see it in younger younger patients really um and we must talk about you know posture um and and kind of what's what's coming out a little bit more now in terms of how much we have to um change it or manipulate it or, or whatever what are your thoughts on that yeah posture um it's a bit of a dirty word around the voice care center i have to be honest um that i think that the the guiding principle that i i love and i always stick with is that the only po bad posture is the one you're in for too long which if you take that into every aspect of daily life works as in if you sit at your computer without moving for eight hours you're going to be stiff and sore and you could then come to me and say, oh, I've got this terrible posture when I work. Like, yeah, I'd probably agree with you there. But if you come to me and you're active daily, you know, you go out, you walk the dog in the morning, you do a bit of work, you get up, move around, have your lunch, go and do a bit more work, get up, move around. So like normal daily activities of daily living and don't experience pain on a day-to-day -day level. And then come to me and say, oh, I've been told my posture is terrible. Right, well, where is your posture actually affecting you? It's not affecting your daily life. So what's wrong with it? And generally speaking, the pain or the, the issues, the, 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 the restrictions that I would be treating come from when a posture is maintained for too long. Mm. But like if you sleep badly, you know, you sleep on a bad pillow or in a, bad, a, a bed that's uncomfortable, you will wake up in the morning stiff and sore. And if you don't mm -hmm. do anything about that for a few days, you'll be even stiffer and even sorer, at which point you'll come and see me and I'll 
hopefully help them fix it. But we've then got to address why that happened in the first place. Mm. Quite often happens if people go on holiday and they sleep in or fall asleep on the plane. You yeah, know, that one, you see a lot of that one. Falling asleep on the plane or in a car with a head drop forwards or drop back and then, oh, and then the muscles will go into spasm and all sorts of fun times. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so posture, yeah. Um, and again, you know, we come back to this idea of hypermobility. One person's normal posture is different from a, another person's normal posture. It just depends where they're comfortable. Mm. And do they have free movement in that position? Yeah. Yes, that's really that's really useful to keep in mind. Um, and as we said in the beginning, uh, you have this quite eclectic career. Um, and I'd really like to delve into your experiences when you were training as a forensic archaeologist, because that sounds <laughs> so, so interesting. Um, and I know we were speaking before a little bit about kind of the things you had to do, um, which may or may not have grossed you out. <laughs> I'm not sure I want to gross your listeners out with any of this. <laughs> but you mentioned how you went to a site which was, you know, thousands of years old um, and kind of what you found there. And I'd love to know, you know, about the bones and if anything that you were studying with, with animals, um, how that may have been linked or is familiar to the to the human voice and, and, the, and the way we are as, uh, as humans. So, yeah, can you can you give us kind of a little... Um, journey through your experience there potted history um yeah so the 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 cemetery we were working in was in cyprus it was up in the mountains in the trudos mountains near paphos and the um graveyard was on top of a mountain and it was rock and they were rock cut tombs into the into the rock face the each tomb has had one or two people buried in it well, actually, some of them had no people buried in it because they'd been robbed years ago. But um, it's a, there's a lot of that goes on. Um, and these were 3000 years, 3000 BC. So pretty long time ago. Most of the bones were by this point almost indistinguishable from the chalk that they were buried in. But there was one that I, I will never forget. It was absolutely beautiful. And it was a double burial and they were lying. They were spooning oh. um, male and female. And one of the things that I found absolutely fascinating about it was that you could see the shapes of the jaws um, and you could see this beautiful curved jaw of the female and this really absolute right angled jaw of the male. Such an incredible difference and seeing them lying side by side like that was just stunning. And you thought that's like a, a, a gender anatomy lecture right there in, in stone. It was fantastic. That's and that's so lovely. That's so lovely as well. I really am interested to know who was the big spoon and who was the little spoon. <laughs> I wish I could remember, <laughs> but it was a long time ago. I'm talking. Oh, I don't even want to think about it, but we're probably about 20 years ago now. So it was it was a while back. Um, wow. So, yeah, that was that was really the high point for me, that one. That's lovely. That's really lovely. Um, and, and out of the animals that you have dissected, was there anything particular, you know, that was totally away from, obviously we're not all going to be like each animal, but was there anything that was totally away from what you expected or something that was surprised you being quite familiar with, with our own setup? Um, 
I think that the, one of the things that I found really fascinating, I used to do a lot of work with horses and um, was a dissection of uh, a racehorse, um, which I, I have to admit I watched, I wasn't part of, but I watched it, um, was looking at how the their bodies are adapted to what they do. So we look at how our bodies have have adapted to use the voice in a way that it wasn't necessarily ever intended for you know i mean really when you look at this system it's to stop you aspirating food <laughs> and it works great for that but then it, we find that we can do all this amazing stuff with it when you look at a racehorse um which we've bred selectively for for a function i.e to go as fast as they possibly can and you look at the enormous lungs and you look at the the way that as they swing their back legs forward in a gallop, the gut content will slam forward against the diaphragm, which will expel the air. Oh, wow. And as the legs swing back, they pull everything back and the lungs will inflate. And so they've got this sort of swing swing effect to the, billow, the bellows that we don't have. We, we don't do it like that. I mean, we do a bit when we're running, but it's, it's not the same mechanics. And so, the the larynx will be developed differently because it's having to having to accommodate this completely different mechanics of the air and they don't need to make sounds i mean they do make sounds yeah. but it, it it works completely differently um and i just found that absolutely mind-blowing looking at the complete almost sort of designed way of creating that airflow that is so different from our way of doing it Mm. Yeah, that it's all really mind blowing when if I think about the body and I remember when I first had my uh, a scope for the very first time and I looked inside, I got really like teared up and I was like, there are my vocal cords. <laughs> like, and it's like this detachment to That's so, never, cool. so, so <laughs> cool. And it was, you know, we we don't we don't see anything that keeps us alive yet it's working and it, it just felt really odd to see that and i was like hello <laughs> hello in there <laughs> it was really it was a really surreal moment so yeah i can imagine seeing you know big animals like the horse and seeing how their mechanism is made for them and what they need is is bonkers seeing everything in the mri um there's so many videos of that on youtube which is pretty stunning as well mm pretty incredible um do you have a favorite thing to work on like in the studio is is do you have like a real fascination or 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 are you being drawn to a particular area i think to be honest with you it changes every week i i have this weird thing that happens every week the first student of the week will come in with something and it will be like oh oh so this is what we're working on this week with everybody um i think well, the last few weeks it's all been about resonance it's about finding space in the in the head and and playing around with and i really with my students it really is about playing around and discovering new things and what happens if i put my tongue out and what happens if i drop my jaw and what happens if i do this and what happens if i do that just to change discovering the changing sounds um and that's one of the things i really love i love to get them working so one of the things i find with my my amateur students uh, that's a bit of an unkind way of describing them, but but they are, is they have this obsession with what they think it should sound like. Mm. Like I open my mouth and I think it should sound like ABC. And I try to change that perception of, if I think about XYZ of technique, 
and only about XYZ of technique, ABC will take care of itself. And I've had so many lovely moments where I've guided them back to their technique, back away from what they think it should sound like, back to a grounding in the body, what's my breath doing, what's my tongue doing, where, what's my body doing, and suddenly the sound happens and they have this absolute light bulb moment and they go, oh my God, that sounds amazing. Like, yeah, and you didn't even need to think about it. Mm. And for me, that as a singing teacher, that is, that's the gold. It's not, it is seeing them perform on stage. That's lovely. But I get so much joy out of those moments. I've had tears in those moments where they make that sound and just go, oh my God, I've never sounded like that in my life. That was worth it. Um, it's been such a privilege. I've had such fun chatting to you. Thank you so much. And where can people find you and, and get in contact with you if they want to know more? So I um, I work three days a week in Egham, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And um, that is at a place called Still House Clinic. Um, so you can find it online, stillhouseclinic.co.uk. Um, and I have appointments available. Brilliant. And if I don't, you, I can find you one. Um, and I do Monday afternoons in London, which is the voicecarecentre.co.uk. Again, appointments available and more more if you can't find one. And I teach Tuesdays and Thursdays. So kind of a lovely life, really. Yeah. It's Brilliant. combining, bringing it all together. It's lovely. Well, I think I'll come and make a visit and uh, come and do some uh, joint farts with you. <laughs> I'm loving this. I'll never forget that one. Yeah. (laughs) Scientific paper by Alexa Terry. Joint farts. (laughs) I can see it now. And their importance with all of the singing teacher. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Chloe, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, make sure you sign up to our mailing list. You get our latest blogs fresh off the internet and we'll let you know about any upcoming courses, events and goodies that The Voice World brings our way. All you need to do is tap that link in the episode description and let us know where to send them.